0: This is Matthew Hoagland, team lead of the Hoagland Real Estate Group at RE-MAX Premier Properties, and you're tuning in to The Hoag List. Why do we choose to work with certain professionals and businesses? Well, I strongly believe that the number one reason we choose to work with anyone is trust. Here, we take a deeper dive into the lives of some of the best professionals that Louisville has to offer to see what makes them tick and how they can bring value to you. Let's go. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Hoag List. Uh, This is Matthew Hoagland, uh, team lead at the Hoagland Real Estate Group. Uh, Today, I've got kind of getting back into uh, the the real estate industry, uh, you know, what I'm a part of. And uh, my guest today, John Clark, he is the owner operator of Kentucky and a title. Uh, We try to do as as many real estate closings as we can over there. Uh, John and his team are really uh, just really good at what they do. Uh, John has actually been in the business 23 years uh, he has a wife and three beautiful daughters, just like myself. So we, we've got That's that right. going in common as well. But uh, but John, thanks for for coming on today.
1: Matt, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your business and your friendship. And I'm looking forward to many many years with you, man. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Well, it's it's really uh, it's been a a fun ride. And you know, we were actually introduced uh, from Steve Renfro, yep. uh, probably four or five years ago. So
1: has it been that long?
0: It has. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you know, one of my, one of the things that one of the favorite, my favorite things I, I, I get to do with John, aside from real estate closings, I, I enjoy playing golf with you, dude.
1: Yeah. He enjoys whipping me up on the golf course. <laughs> I don't know Never, never bet this man on a yeah. golf course.
0: <laughs> well, what, um, let, us kind of get into it here. What, what can you tell our business or our listeners about, you know, your business and, and what you do? Sure.
1: Well, title insurance is, um, you think of it as just a, a kind of a boring part of the business, but as, as far as the closings go, we pretty much play a decent role in the in the transaction. Uh, we start with the title search. We will prepare the title commitment for the lender if we need it or for cash deal. We'll do it for the, for the buyer. Um, we also disperse the funds, do the closing, prepare documents, record the documents, issue title insurance, and do the post-closing for the lender as well. Um there's some misconceptions about title insurance. People, you know, they wonder if they need it. It's an option now. The government's kind of made it to where it's an option. It's always been an option, but it's kind of always been forced on consumers. Now it's an option, and it only is for the owner's policy. If you have a lender and you have a loan, the lender will one hundred percent of the time make you buy a title insurance policy to protect them for any type of issues with the title clear title. Right. So why wouldn't you want to purchase an owner's policy to protect you? Because that lender's policy gives you no protection.
0: Well, you, you know, that's actually, that's really interesting that you say that because, yeah, if a lender is requiring this to be purchased as part of their interest in the property, you know, why would you decline it? And, you know, uh, I've actually, I've had the opportunity to, you know, close almost 300 transactions. I've only had one person decline owners an owner's policy. Wow, so. that's
1: that's good. That's good for you. you that's, I think you're doing your part as a realtor to let them purchase their owner's insurance and not even making an option for them. Title insurance is a one-time fee that protects you for life. It's not like your standard insurance, car insurance, health insurance, where you're constantly paying an annual premium or a monthly premium. You have protection for life, and if you if you measure how much you get out of that title policy premium, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you break it down. If you're going to be in that house for 10 years, divide that out by 10. You're looking at, you know, $30 or $40 a year is all it's going to cost you if you well, break it down that way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I a lot of times will kind of parallel, you know, title insurance as like a life insurance policy. It's something that you don't you don't really think that you're ever going to need, but you're sure. going to be thankful that you have it uh You know, if you need it. So let's, what are maybe a few things that you can tell us, um, you know, some instances where, you know, an owner's policy was, is necessary or that maybe some experiences you've been a part of, or it's been critical, you know, to have.
1: One of the, one of the keys on on owner's insurance is if there are any delinquent taxes that we don't know about, you're dealing with human beings in the the recorder's office. And most of those people don't like their jobs. So you, you hope that they don't make a lot of mistakes, but you know, any, anyone you ever work with that doesn't like their job is probably going to make some mistakes and they're going to make mistakes on deed transfers. They're going to make mistakes on uh, not checking the legal description. Um, we do that type of thing. We check the legal descriptions. We check, you know, for taxes. We only, we only know what's a public record. There are a lot of things. There could be unrecorded deeds, unrecorded land contracts. There could be spouses with marital interests that never signed their interests away that would never show up on a title search. So just a simple title search is wonderful to get if you're buying investment properties, but that's not protection. That just gives you a little bit of peace of mind. Me personally, I'm overinsured on probably everything. Every property I've ever purchased, I've purchased title insurance and I've had to use a, use the, the policy for a claim uh, for delinquent taxes on a property from two previous owners.
0: Well and so let's let's just kind of guess here if you didn't have that that buyer, that owner's policy, what could you have potentially been out, you know, out of pocket if you didn't have that?
1: Well, perfect example. We had one closed um, about three months ago, maybe four months ago. A woman called our office and said that she is the spouse of a seller who signed a deed as an unmarried man. And he was married at the time of the closing. So he committed fraud. She had interest in the property that property was in their divorce, and she expected 50% of the proceeds from the sale, $35,000 roughly. And this particular buyer did purchase owner's insurance, and they are actually filing a claim on that owner's policy. $35,000 extra to pay towards a person that had, we thought, no interest right? because he lied and said he was an unmarried man. Kentucky's a dower state. So if you're married, your spouse has an interest in that property if you were to pass away.
0: Well, and that's something that I get often time and time again, people, you you made a good point there that uh, Kentucky is a dower state, which means if you're married, uh, any property that you own and make sure I'm saying this right, but any property that I own, whether it's rental property, if it's only the loans only in my name or, you know, that's also belongs Your your spouse has an interest in that as well. In uh, something else. Let me take this in a different direction. Uh, I've had a case where somebody inherited property from their mom mm-hmm. or their dad, uh, and their you know their siblings involved. Well, when they go to sell that property, if they are married at that time, their spouses, even though you know they're not mm-hmm. their parents, they have an interest in that property as well, uh, which I thought was is kind of interesting.
1: And, and and is it an interest? Is it's that's always the question. It's what they call an expectancy interest. If if you were a property owner and you're married and you pass away, at that point, your wife may have a 50% interest based on Kentucky law, um, being a dower and curtsy state. That's um, not a guarantee that she has that interest. Inherited property sometimes is exempt from those interests. So uh, your, your spouse may not have interest in a property that you've inherited. It all depends on how much money she's put into that property. Um, if she's got vested interest in that property, as far as a um, interest with uh, monetary interest, uh, she can prove that in, in, in the courts and they may give her some of that interest.
0: So even if she decorated it, uh, that, no, I <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't go that far, but if
1: she did put some money into that property and help with the maintenance of it, maybe made some mortgage payments. If you all had a shared account, um, that would be something that would possibly give her interest based on the courts.
0: Well, so you all do uh, you all do business in Indiana. is that we correct?
1: We are um, we're licensed in Indiana and Tennessee, and I'm also my, my main source of business in, in Kentucky. But since we border those other states, we do a little bit of business in those states as well.
0: Well, and so the the Dower rights that we're talking about, is that the same no,
1: in Indiana and Tennessee? Not at all. You can buy and sell properties in Indiana individually um, as a married man, a married woman without having your spouse to sign anything, provided they're not on that deed. As Kentucky, you can buy with one person, but you have to have two to sell if you're married.
0: Okay. So in in case our listeners were wondering, so if you're in Indiana, uh, let's just say my wife wants to buy a piece of property in Indiana on her own. Um, She buys it and she later on goes down to sell it. If I'm not on the deed or I'm not on the mortgage, she has all the whole entire interest in that property.
1: That's correct. She can buy it and sell it without your knowledge.
0: Well, the, <laughs> well, and you know, I'm just curious to see what you think about this. Why why do you think why is it different in certain states and others like what what determines uh some of that? That's <laughs>
1: it all depends. Some of the, some of the original colonial States, uh, you start going to the East coast. Some of those States are still attorney only States. You could, you have to be an attorney to even handle a closing. Georgia is still that way. South Carolina is that way. There are a few States that are still that way. The majority are not, not that way. Um, most, most States allow a title insurance company to handle the closings, a title agent or a closing agent. Some States are escrow States. Um, you know, I don't do business in all those states. I, I've worked for a national company when I first got into this business for 10 years, and I've got a lot of experience doing business in the different states. And I decided to narrow mine down to what I'm good at, and it's Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm much like that. You know, people may ask me about commercial. You know, I, I try to stay in sure. residential people ask me if I want to get my indiana license I'm like no I've got somebody over there which I am going to have on the show soon uh that can handle that because I'm not as familiar with that so I mean sure and I think it's good to specialize um in certain things as opposed you know some people I know know you know nothing against them but some people are insurance agents and real estate agents exactly and right like specialize in one thing I, th- I think that you're going to do better by the consumer you know being Mm -hmm. specialized some
1: of it's having a niche and some of it is just just doing what you do best and with me i do some commercial but 95 percent of what i do is residential because i'm comfortable there yeah um to when i start getting into some of these deeper uh, commercial transactions i usually have to call in a professional person to look at my work i question it i wonder about it and usually i'm pretty much on right on point but when I don't know for sure, I turn it over to someone that would actually—that's their specialty, their, their expertise. Yeah,
0: no, oh, absolutely. So, what is your what is your favorite thing about what you do? Like, what do you enjoy about being in you know in the title industry?
1: I I enjoy people um, most of the time. Uh, <laughs> most most people are good people. Uh, most people appreciate good service. Um, some don't. Some don't understand what we do, and I, I take it upon myself to uh, educate those that that uh, really don't know what our industry is and what the title insurance business is, because it's not. It's kind of a misnomer. People don't really know what title insurance is and what what we do in our in the closing process. Um, but I really enjoy working with people, and I love the closing table when it gets to that point. But there's a lot that goes into the title the closing the document preparation prior to closing closing is the last you know 30 to 45 minutes yeah. of a you know two or three week process and um, it's it's my favorite part I really really enjoy first-time home buyers and I like to see seniors a lot of times sell their homes and go into their you know their final patio home or you know, where- how about
0: buying a home because you know I don't know if you remember this but we actually had a client close at your office was 92 that bought her her Probably oh, yeah. a second home, I guess I should say. But, um, uh, but yeah, no, that, that is a good feeling. And like you were saying, not too many people understand what it takes to get to that moment in time at the closing table where you're signing docs. I mean, work as a real estate agent, we're communicating with you, providing you all with information. You all are getting instructions from the lender. I mean, there's a lot of different moving parts that go into getting to that, you know, into that place. And, uh, yeah, most people don't don't even have an, a, sure. a, a clue of what goes in on, on your part.
1: It's a good level of communication, and we you you have to trust us with your client. Sometimes we have to contact customers with bad news. I mean, we find that's why you do a title search. Last week we found three um, unreleased mortgages that were paid off, supposedly. Two of them were against previous owners. Uh, one was against our current owner, and they had no proof that, that these mortgages were paid off. So you call people with some negative, but <clears throat> if we call them— With a problem, we always have a solution in mind. We have an idea of what we need to do, and we don't just kind of leave them out there, high and dry, saying "Sorry about your luck; you can't sell your house." We work with them. We give them just about every source and every type of um, phone number contact. We make, you know, we do the phone calls for them. We we trace these things back. Um, we give them what they need to, to help clear that title up so they can sell their house. But sometimes it does delay the closings. Yeah. We try not to let that happen. We get our titles turned in two days, three days at the max and we start working on clearing those issues up. So it does not become a title issue for our, our realtors who are our clients.
0: Yeah. So speaking of clients and I, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out there because I think a lot of times maybe buyers and sellers are confused about the the title company's role So you're not actually – you're not a client for the buyer or seller. You're a client for the
1: lender. Is that correct? Depending on the situation. If there's a lender involved, the lender um, requires us to sign off on their instructions. They require us to jump through many hoops, um, jump over uh, many hurdles, um, 20 to 30 or 40 different – sets of instructions that we have to sign off on. that says we're going to handle their funds properly, first of all, and we are, you know, licensed. You're talking insured. about a lot of money most Yeah, times. you're talking, I mean, that escrow account on, a, on any given day could have, you know, 6 to $10 million in it, and that's, that's other people's money that they trust us to handle their funds. And that's one of the big roles of the title companies is dispersing of the funds. And we have all parties review our settlement statement. They all approve to say, okay, it's okay to pay all of these parties involved. That's what a title company does. It keeps buyers from having to write 20 or 30 different checks, the title company is professionally responsible for that. That's one of the services that we offer, which is, um, a, like I say, a pretty good service. Funds yeah. funds come into our escrow account. They're certified. They're, they're insured. They're cashier checks or wires. And we disperse funds accordingly based on the, the final settlement statement.
0: Yeah, well, that, that takes me into my kind of my next point and, and topic I wanted to just touch on real quick. There is a lot of you know wire fraud and things going on. So one thing that, whether you're using me as your real estate agent or not, you know if you're a, a current or, or potential future buyer or seller, uh, it's really important that they're not providing you know personal information through emails, text, uh, because as you know, there there's a lot of people that are getting hit with uh, with fraud through email. Uh, you know I've heard cases where you know, people are pretending to be real estate agents, sending out information, you know, asking their clients for information. Uh, and then the same thing with you, I know you and I have talked about that a little bit. So what are some some things, either that maybe Kentucky and a title is doing to help protect with uh, wire fraud, but then also maybe some other, you know, suggestions that you would maybe have for the consumer when, you know, dealing with their personal information?
1: Sure. I mean, that wire fraud is a, is a huge, huge problem throughout the United States. Um, in the United States, it's illegal to hack into other people's computers. Uh, these other countries, some are third world, some are, I mean, Russia, China, you've got some major, major countries that that's a job for them. As soon as these, these high tech um, college kids get out of school, or even before they're working as interns, doing their best to hack into title companies, real estate agents, I was I took a, a, a class, a CE class, continuing education class uh, about six months ago, and there's a secret service agent there explaining that 100% of every MLS transaction uh, there is an attempt to hack into that real estate agent's email account or the personal email account of the seller. And once they once they have success there, they sit back and they wait, they wait for email chains and they look for any type of personal information that's not public information. To come across these emails in an unsecured fashion and that's the way they know that's the way business is done we all we all are are quick to look at our iphones send an email give updates give information that is probably not privy as a public information um you know information about the date of the transaction when are we closing how much money do you need to the closing if they have that information they can contact and send a spoof email to your client or to you stating that they are from the title company or from the lender asking for this consumer to wire funds. And the consumers don't know any difference. So really early on education from the real estate agents, when you meet with your clients initially, scare them, let them know that wire fraud is a real thing and that that you would never ask them to wire funds. Kentucky, we, we do require cashier's checks or certified funds. Indiana does require wires over 10,000. So that's Kind of an issue if you're doing business in Indiana. Make sure that you have covered that with your client. Yeah, that you will well, never ask them to wire funds. The title company will send wiring instructions. We'll do it through a secured fashion. They have to log in to get our wiring instructions.
0: Well, something that that I know uh, that a lot of people are doing, like the emails you just talked about. So you may get an email that from John Clark that looks exactly. You wouldn't even think to look at his address. Uh, same signature. Except for it may not be .com, it might be .co. And you, you most people don't, you know, look at the full email address, know, especially when they're working with them on a weekly or day-to-day basis.
1: And lenders, lenders send emails on every point of the transaction. So customers are getting emails. They're getting bombarded with emails. They don't know which ones are legit, which ones are not. So I always tell the clients to, to tell your customers, if when in doubt, ask.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's, that's really great advice. And, and especially, uh, you know, I, I fortunately have not been a part of any of those kind of, you know, transactions or been a part of, you know, wire fraud and people wiring funds to the to the wrong place. But I've heard of, of many instances where people are, you know, wiring hundred thousand dollars to the wrong place. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there may not be any way of getting that
1: back. It's very rare that those monies are um, recovered. It's say within 24 hours, you have about a 50% chance. I think it's lower than that. We had a, we had a personal experience with that. We had one of our clients emails was hacked and he received an email, a spoofed email. It looked like it was from a title company. Ask him to wire the funds to a certain account day before closing. They had uh, hacked into either the realtor's email or his. They still haven't figured that out. And They knew exactly how much money to tell him to send, and they sent him specific wiring instructions. At the date of the closing, we show up, we close the transaction, we ask him for his money, and he tells us he emailed it or wired it the day before based on an email he received, and we never could trace the funds. It went to a bank over in California. They called that bank, and the bank, that that account had already been closed, and those funds were gone. It was $16,000, and um, again, he's still trying to recover that. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, it's just, it's super important. And I, and I, I try to tell even the agents on my team, you know, just how important it is to, to protect people's personal information and just making sure that we're communicating with our clients, uh, you know, every step of the way and, and, you know, checking and double checking, you know, when, when you're getting emails of something. And a lot of times I, I've, you know, I've been spammed myself before. You know, you can kind of tell when something just seems a little out of the ordinary. And
1: they've got, but they've gotten so good, Matt. You you would be amazed at some of these emails that they're sending out. They're contacting. We had we had a uh, one of our loan officers call our office um, two weeks ago, and ask us why we wanted his customer's email address. And when we told him we didn't ask for that, we would never ask for that. He got concerned and he actually gave this person who said they were from our title company an email address of his customer. His customer got an email spoofed. It looked like it was from him asking to wire the funds. So he, he stopped that. It could have been a a, a real problem. So someone's email was hacked. They knew who the title company was that was handling a transaction. Um, You know, the best thing to do is if, if they do get one of those emails and they do go to their bank or their um, credit union to wire the funds, Always, 100% of the time, call the title company from legitimate website, phone number, confirm the information, confirm the wiring instructions. It takes five minutes to um, confirm that information, whereas it could take you a lifetime to try to recover those funds. Yeah. Not take, a, take that five minutes.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's really good advice. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit here, John, uh, kind of get into some of the a little bit more exciting yeah. questions. Sorry uh, about the scary stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyhow, what is, uh, what's your favorite thing about the city
1: of Louisville? Wow. Um, I like the people. I, I like how it's not the North. It's not the South. It's a good melting pot of of people. It's becoming more and more of a melting pot. People from, seem like they're coming in uh, to the city of Louisville, which is Amaze me that it's taken this long for the city to, to start to grow. You watch all the cities around us. Nashville is growing like crazy. I think too fast. Um, home values there are amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know Atlanta. You know, Louisville was almost the same size as Atlanta and Nashville about 40 years ago. And Louisville has not grown. I mean, we've grown, but compared to those two cities, uh, nowhere near. A lot of it has to do with the industry. Uh, we got the river running right through us. We need to make sure that we we continue to give tax breaks to some of these larger companies and get some jobs in here. And you know, when we have jobs, we can build infrastructure. And I've loved that about the city. The only thing I don't like about this city is the infrastructure with the with the roads. Um, it's getting to the point where it's difficult to, to drive around. You've got some uh, some engineered highways that that sometimes you scratch your head and make they don't make any sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, Gene Snyder Gene in '64, Snyder's definitely one
0: of them. Um, well. I will say this, you know, even in, you know, I talk to some people that I know in other larger cities. We still have a reasonable commute, but I, I'm getting, I did, understand what you're saying. Like, especially the Gene Snyder, you know, a two lane road that needs to be you know, a minimum and two, of three.
1: And two major, two major um, highways coming together to merge on the same stretch of road where one's exiting and one's entering in about a hundred uh, meter. Uh, distance I mean it's 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 dangerous and it, yeah. and it just it just creates a, a a backlog which there shouldn't be for traffic oh, yeah. but for the most part the city of Louisville is easy to get around you can just about get anywhere in 20 minutes uh depending on the time of the day
0: yeah no no doubt you you know Louisville is a foodie town I've heard that many times in the podcast so far but uh what's a good restaurant that maybe you could recommend that that we're not thinking about
1: it's a great question. Uh, I eat out a lot, but I,
0: I kind of you couldn't tell you like you're like gumby over here, you skinny man.
1: Well, I don't eat a lot. I eat, <laughs> out. I eat out a lot, but I'm I don't jealous. eat a lot on my plate. I'm jealous. But um, I, I mean I enjoy just about all types of foods. Um, steak is one of my one of my favorite oh, for the for, sure. for the family meals and you know Where do you, where can you get a good steak? I I personally like Ruth Chris. I always have Always will. It's not a local establishment, but it, it seems local to me because it's. I always get great service. And I always get great food. Uh, Stony, yeah. Stony River is phenomenal. Uh, my daughter works at Texas Roadhouse, so I've got to give them a plug. Oh, yeah. I like Texas Roadhouse. You Hidden, get it,
0: hidden steak, Jim? Uh, Tumbleweed.
1: Oh, yeah. Tumbleweed's always... I, I love it. Tumbleweed's always had a good steak.
0: You know, I think I my wife and I had a small oh. wedding uh, Before we we eventually got married in Cancun, and I remember having we went and ate at Tumbleweed after we got married, and I had a steak. Remember,
1: (laughs) I used to work there. I used to fry the chips there when I was 16 years old. I still can't eat those chips today.
0: Oh yeah. What? uh, So, kind of getting back into you know outside of real estate closings and title work. So what do what do you do in your spare time?
1: Spare time. there's very little of it. it. seems like less now than ever. We've, we're having kind of a record year, which is great. Thank you, everyone who closes with us. Yeah. Um, it's It's been the best closing year I've had since we've been open, and you know, we've had some pretty good years. So, um, And we're doing it with pretty much the same staff. Um, so kudos to those guys. Thank you all. As a plug to my staff. Yeah. Stay with me.
0: Well, and that's also – I think that's a, a testament to the service that you provide uh, – you know, keeping really good relationships with a lot of good people. Like I see a lot of the people that you work with and, and I know a lot of them and they're just, uh, you know, th- I think that's huge. But then getting back to, you know, the service that you provide, I know, uh, one of the, my favorite things that I like about, uh, about working with you all. And it's, it's important for me and my clients is like, if I need something, I, you know, I just have to ask right. and you all, you all are like, that's such a big part of my business. Um, you know, if my client, you know, getting a POA draw to, uh, drawn, written up or however you want to say sure. that I'm kind of, <laughs> prepared. Or, yeah, prepared, um, you know, needing to, to have a separate closing, you know, sure. Somebody signing differently. Like you all are really flexible and just having that relationship with you all goes a long way. Um, and, and really makes my life a little bit easier as well.
1: It does. And it, and we, we try to, um, kind of run with it, so to speak. We'd love to have a closing where we have a buyer and a seller right across from each other, and it's been scheduled for two weeks. We get the documents, you know, two, three days in advance. But we know that's few and far between. So we are the title company that um, we're so used to having to um, adjust, so to speak. Uh, buyers will... Uh, you know, their, their documents maybe didn't get to them in time. So now we have to move our closing a day and now they can't take off work. One wants to come in at eight o'clock in the morning. One wants to come in at five o'clock in the evening. Sellers are out of state. Now they're on vacation because it was supposed to close last week. You'll find that we are probably the best title company when it comes to that type of transaction, mainly because we don't mind to do it and we don't mind to make the extra phone call. And we've got people that are all about service in my office. Yeah,
0: no, that, I mean, and yeah, I can attest to that. Uh, without a doubt, hands down. Um, you've, you've definitely got a a really good staff there. So
1: I've even got people that that wanted, they want to do Saturday closings, evening closings, 7am closings, because I pay them a little extra premium to show up to do that. And and they enjoy that doesn't cost the customer anymore, but, uh, we, we offer that level of service. So you're always going to get a Saturday closing. If you want it, you'll get a six o'clock at night closing or seven o'clock in the morning closing if you want it with us.
0: Yeah, no, that that's great. So, how many closings has your since you've been in business at Kentucky and a title? How many closings have y'all been a part of?
1: Wow. Um, yeah, we average. I, I personally is, have closed over ten thousand. I was doing the math the other day. Um, so, I personally have me in sitting with the clients have closed over ten thousand, um, and I do about twenty five to thirty percent of our closings. So, if you Take that, multiply that by four. You're probably looking at, you know, 40, 50,000 closings that we've done. Wow, that's unbelievable. In the 12 years, yeah.
0: That's great. So I've got one more question, and then we we've got to run. But um, I think I told you when I asked you to do this that I was going to ask you this question. And
1: Uh-oh. I'll if you say
0: that. Tracy French, I will be okay with it. But who is your favorite real estate agent? Tracy French.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he's he's got his, his – he's making a fist. Um, <laughs> no, no. No she's I, great i love I love Tracy. Tracy's phenomenal she's she's great i wouldn't I wouldn't trade her for the world. you're as good as they come um, your communication is phenomenal the way, that's kind of the way I gauge my realtors I don't really have a I do have a basket that I kind of put them in, in my mind you know which ones that I really enjoy working with and which ones um that I would like to sit down and just I don't wanna say the word train but you know let them let them see what we do and let them know that. You know, if we have a good line of communication, these transactions will go so much smoother. Um, their clients will be happier. They will, they will lead to uh, more referrals from their clients because um, we all have to do this together. It's you choose us to close your transactions because we're an extension of you and we make you look good. But in the process, you are always available for us. You always answer your phone. You always re- return your texts. You invite me to do podcasts. and meet your clients Uh, well
0: and that's such a huge part you know real estate is such a relational like business like making sure that my clients are happy is my number one priority and who i align with who i refer who you know all of that stuff matters and it's part of the experience that people get whether they're you know and, and it's really important to me and and you know i just I appreciate you know appreciate having you on you know on our team and and being able to help out on a lot of occasions.
1: So. I appreciate you and I and you always know that my cell phone's on. I answer my cell phone late at night, um, early in the morning.
0: I mean, he'll even go to your wife's work and sign a get documents signed so you can close. So That's right. About that. Whatever it takes. <laughs> All right, John. Well, hey, I'm gonna kind of cut us off here, uh, but uh, I just wanted to say. Uh, this has been another episode of the Hoag list. Uh, this is episode nine, I believe, but I just want to thank anybody who, uh, is tuning in, uh, who has tuned in. Um, this has been a lot of fun, but, uh, as always, uh, we'd love an opportunity to, uh, to earn your trust in business for all things, real estate. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and all other, uh, social media sites. Uh, my personal cell, if you ever need to get a hold of me is 502- two nine four zero six nine two also please feel free to leave us a comment let us know how we're doing give us a critique uh anything like that would, would definitely be welcomed but uh we'll catch you next time john thank you again
1: thank you